Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Go to Ken and Garland. How can I help you, Ken? Uh, hey, Jim. It's a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I got an issue, and I'm pretty sure it's a plumbing one, but I'm not positive. Every time when I go to flush my toilet in just the one bathroom, not the other one, after the, the thing flushes and the water starts coming in, I'm getting this weird, weird noise. It sounds like it's coming out of the pipes or somewhere. It's a vibration. It's very loud. Yep. Everything's working fine, but uh, there's got to be an issue there somewhere, doesn't there? Well, it, it's, a, it's a rapid thumping noise, right? Uh, I guess that's what you call it. I'm not sure. Kind of going... Brrr. Yeah, it's loud. Yeah. What's causing that is, and especially, you, you, you know, you helped by narrowing it down to where you're hearing it. In that toilet somewhere, and it can be in the valve uh, under the toilet, you know, that feeds the water, or it can be in the valve in the toilet tank. Either one of those two places can have the problem. There are, there are washers and O-rings in there. And if one of them starts to tear or come loose, what happens is the... Um, as the water passes by it, it starts flapping. And so when you flush that toilet and the water's flowing back into the tank, that little washer or O-ring is starting to flap, and that's what's making all the noise. It sounds loud. It, it's almost like somebody's taking a hammer and, and beating rapidly against the pipes. But really all it is is that, that little nickel washer flapping in the water. Oh, so I guess I need to call a plumber, huh? Yeah, well, you can call a plumber, or you can try to figure out where it's at yourself. And and if you want to try to figure it out, this is for everybody listening now, if you want to try to figure out where it's at yourself, shut the water off to the toilet, drain the tank, and then unscrew from the bottom of the tank the water inlet, take a five-gallon bucket, and open up the valve again, and let the water run into the bucket. If it's not flapping at that time... It more than likely is in the the uh, toilet bowl itself, you know, the toilet tank itself, the valve in there. Okay. If you're hearing it when you t- run it into the five gallon bucket, that means it's in the valve, and so you know which one needs to be replaced. Okay. All right. Now, if you, well, if I really you need a plumber, that. obviously, I'm. If you want a plumber, obviously, I'm going to tell you call Due West. We'll be more than happy to take care of it for you. Okay, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you so you much. Take care, Ken. Shannon, how are you today? Hi, Hello, Jim. Shannon. I'm good. What um, can I do for yeah, you? I have a two-story house built in uh, 1995, and I have about a 20-foot wood chimney that's going up from the um, from the roof, and it's leaning. Um, and we went up. My husband went up and looked in the attic, and it looks like the decking at the base may have some issues, maybe some rotting. Um, we did have the roof replaced about a year ago. Um, but we didn't realize there were any issues um, until we noticed the, the chimney leaning. Um, what kind of contractor do we need? Do we need a roofer or a, we're looking for some guidance? Well, if it's leaning, and you said it's all wood, right? That is correct. And you're not seeing any sheetrock cracks inside the house or door misalignments or anything like that, correct? Um, we have a few cracks. Because, and the reason I'm asking that, there's two things that can cause this problem. 
One is if the foundation starts to settle, the higher you go, the more something will lean. And fireplaces are a lot of times one of the first places you'll see it. When you look from the outside, the fireplace will lean towards the backyard. And where the um, fireplace ties into the roof, all the uh, shielding there and stuff will kind of start to pull. And so you can get leaks there then, which rots the decking like you have. The other thing it can be is if there is just plain rot in the bottom of the fireplace, it can start to lean. So it's going to kind of depend on what's going on as, as far as who you need to call. If if it's in the foundation, obviously I'm going to tell you call Due West. Uh, we'll be more than happy to come out and take a look at it for you. If it's in the wood framing where the wood is rotting and stuff, you actually need a carpenter, not a not a roofer. The roofer would come afterwards. We tell everybody all the time, and, and, and it's common, you need to get your units serviced. And, and, you know, a lot of companies will advertise their spring tune-up and their fall tune-ups and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that, but be cautious. When the deal sounds too good to be true, there's a reason for it. You know, these guys who start advertising that they'll come out and do a $29.95 tune-up, 19-point check and all this other stuff, here's what they're doing. And, and, and let me tell you, I own an AC company in Houston. I fully understand what they're doing. They're coming out, and they're going to find something wrong with your system because they're not charging enough to come out and look at it. AC techs make too much to charge $29.95 an hour to come out and service your unit. It's a losing proposition for the AC company. The only way they recover their money is to find something wrong with your unit. So if you're not paying enough to whoever's servicing your unit to cover the expense of that service, I will guarantee you they will find something wrong in order to recoup their losses. That's just the nature of it. So when you're looking for somebody to service your unit, obviously I'm going to tell you call Adventair because I know they don't play these games. That's one of the reasons I talk for them. But if you're looking for somebody to come out and truly service your unit the way it's supposed to be, you are not looking for the $29.95 guy. You're looking for somebody who's charging enough to come out and break even on servicing your unit the way it's supposed to be. And I know there's a lot of people out there who say, oh, it doesn't need to be checked every year. Yes, it does. There are things like around the where the blade, the, the fan motor, you know, where that can be low, not the fan motor, but the, the shaft coming out where it spins has to be lubricated. The, the, the coils and everything need to be cleaned up. There's uh, up in the attic, there's places that need to be oiled and serviced to maintain the unit working properly for the long haul. Capacitors can be checked, different things like that, so that you don't get stuck on that 105-degree day with no air conditioning because parts got weak that could have been replaced for a few dollars back when you had it checked versus waiting until it totally breaks down. Now you're replacing complete parts and compressors and all this other stuff. That's the reason you service your car, and that's the reason you're supposed to service your air conditioning system as well. 
you know, if you're bargain shopping an appliance, a car, a clothes, you know, any shoes, any of those kind of items, you're buying something that's already manufactured. When you're bargain shopping air conditioning, foundation repair, plumbing, these are all services. The parts typically are a small piece of the pie. Now on air conditioning, the 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 units themselves can be a large piece of the pie, but put in improperly, it becomes a small piece of the pie when you got to pay somebody else to come in and fix it. Don't bargain shop the service. When we left, I was talking with Bill and Bill, are you there still? I'm still here, bud. All right. So we we're talking about foundation problems and like I said, 18 to 20 years is when most people start seeing something. Usually, if the problem waits until a house is 30 years older, older, it's it's uh, something has changed that is causing the problem. Whether it's a tree that has uh, finally gotten big enough and near the home that starts taking down a corner because the roots are taking so much moisture out of the soil, drainage has changed, uh, something in the landscaping changed, a neighbor did something to redirect water through your property. Uh, all these things can can be variables that change it as well as sewer leaks or uh, water leaks of some kind under the foundation. Uh, Typically if there's a water issue under the foundation it is caused in the drain lines because water lines if they leak you start hearing it in the house and it starts running up your water bill so people normally know that that's happening but when a sewer line starts leaking nobody ever knows it and it can go for years and cause a lot of trouble and that's the reason we do what's called a static test before and after leveling the home to to look for those kind of problems okay uh, I've checked my water meter a couple yep. of times and I don't I don't feel like I've got a water loss yeah and so but uh, like I said if it's in the sewer the line sewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's 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 normally where it's at is in the sewer line. Now, a static test is really nothing more than taking a what's called a ball, a test ball, and you drop it down into the clean out, into the main sewer line, air it up, and fill the entire system under the home and see if the water level holds. If the water continues to drop or you can't even fill it, Obviously, you got a leak, and then you can go into isolating and find exactly where the leaks are. You mentioned your house is 30 years old, so it should have PVC plumbing under it. The most likely places when it's PVC plumbing that have breaks is the overflow on the bathtub and any place where there's a Y in the system. Ys are notorious for being weak, and uh, as the soils move a little bit, that Y will crack and have to have to be replaced. Okay, that makes sense. It gives me a couple of things to look for, and probably give you a call to come out and look at it. Be more than happy to do that for you. One of the interesting emails that came in, and I think other people have this same problem, so I'm going to go ahead and read this off real quick. Jim, I'm having trouble with the backflow faucet heads around my house when I'm trying to use soaker hose at a low rate to keep foundation moist. Is there some apparatus I can attach to the faucet? At the low pressure, it pours water from the faucet head and pushes little to the soaker hose. Thanks 
I understand these backflow faucet adapters are code at this point. And yes, they are code on all homes. Uh, and basically what it does is when you turn the faucet on, it puts enough pressure to open up that valve and the water flows around it and goes out to the hose. If you don't have the faucet on full blast, it doesn't have enough pressure to push the valve open. Therefore, water starts pouring out the sides of it. The easy way to fix this problem, they make a pressure regulator. And it costs you about 7 to $10 at the box stores or in hardware stores. And basically, you screw that on, screw the soaker hose on to it. The soaker hose will have a balance because at high pressure, the soaker hose gets more water at the beginning of the hose than it does the end. By putting that pressure regulator on there, you you want one that's going to drop the city pressure down to, to somewhere between 10 and 20 PSI. It balances it out where you get basically the same amount of water throughout the hose. Your water pressure is still at full pressure going against your backflow preventer, so it doesn't backwash on you, and everything works the way it's supposed to. Uh, so, like I said, 7 to 10 bucks, you can get that, and it'll solve your problem. I did have an email question come in just a minute ago from Pearland. Uh, it actually came in during this last news break. Recently purchased a house in Pearland, built in 01 with a detached garage. The garage is hot and, unlike the house, has no radiant barrier or any soffit or roof ventilation whatsoever. How would you address this if it were your home or at all? Well, I'll give you a little tidbit. You don't have a radiant barrier there. You need a radiant barrier. And I would install ventilation as well. So as far as the radiant barrier, uh, depends on the walls. If they have, you know, any anything on the walls, that limits you a little bit what you can put in as, as radiant barrier. But if the walls are still open, just studs, if you install a radiant barrier on the walls and on the uh, garage ceiling, you know, the roof rafters, you'll drop the temperature in that garage typically 12 to 15 degrees when the sun is out beating on everything. Uh, I would also recommend, though, that you put some ventilation in the garage. I don't know if you've got soffits where you can add soffit ventilation or not, but you in a garage, you actually can put the vents down at the garage floor level. So instead of just moving the heat in the upper, you can actually have it, um, whether you're using a ridge vent or a solar-powered fan, it can draw the air in at the bottom and take all the air up and out the top. If, and a lot of detached garages are, you know, all gabled up and or uh, hipped up and everything, so you don't really have the ability to go with a ridge vent, I would, at, in that situation, take a look at a solar-powered fan. Um, you really don't have to worry about the size on the solar-powered fan because you're not going to be drawing any air from inside the house. That's one of the things you got to worry about if you use a solar-powered fan on a living quarters of a house in the attic. If it gets too strong and it can't get enough air in through the soffit fence and such, it will start drawing air from the living area of the home. In a garage, that's not an issue. You really want to move some air, take a look at a solar fan and put it up in there along with those uh, 
radiant barriers, and you'll make that garage at least 15 degrees cooler. Uh, go to energy, the letter Q.com. That's a great radiant barrier, the energy Q radiant barrier. Love it. Uh, just happened to talk to the owner over there this week for a few minutes. Uh, known him for the last uh, 15 years. He does a, a wonderful job, and that's really a good radiant barrier from here in Texas. So ah, let's see here. Hey, Jim, I have a crack in my driveway, which is increasing in width each summer and is heaving up some. Should I use some kind of concrete patch on it to keep the water out? The patch probably won't look good, but neither does the crack. Thank you, David. Well, David, you know, cracks in concrete is expected. All concrete cracks by nature. That's why we have steel in it to hold it together when it does crack. But if you are getting a large enough crack that you're getting water that runs down it, and especially if it's the water starts coming out through one of the expansion joints or down at the bottom and taking sand with it, then you would definitely want to put a patch in there. Now, to patch cracks, you don't normally use a concrete patch. Normally what you're going to use is an epoxy uh, that's made for uh, joining the concrete pieces together. And if the crack is wide enough, you actually mix sand in the epoxy before putting it into the crack. So really, it's going to depend on what you got going on this crack as far as do you need to do something with it or not. But uh, the best thing I could tell you with it is typically it's not an emergency. It's not one of those things that you have to do. And... I will tell you, yeah, the cracks sometimes do look, you know, the patch does sometimes look worse than the crack. But if done artfully, you actually can mix in materials to blend the color and make it where it doesn't stand out so much. So it can be done. You need a place to get the epoxy? Check out White Cap. That's White Cap. And uh, they carry all kinds of stuff that you can order and they can ship it directly to you. Or you can just go in the stores and get it. Alicia, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Hey, um, well, I don't have a home improvement question, but I was wondering if you could help me with a new construction question. Sure. My husband and I are looking to build a new home, and we're really uh, considering a metal home. And I'm getting a lot of mixed reviews online. Okay. When you say considering a metal home, are you just talking about the metal studs, or are you talking about building a metal building and then building out inside? That's right. Metal building. Okay. And adding, like, stone and lumber beams, you know, to kind of mix it up. But, sure. yes, mostly metal. And, and what kind of mixed reviews are you seeing online? Because that's usually a, a very nice way to go. And uh, traditionally, it, it's not going to save you a whole lot. By the time you build out the inside, but uh, there's, it actually makes for a great building. That's good to hear from you. I guess that is mostly what I've heard is that it's not you're not really going to save money in the end, which isn't the main reason we're doing it. We also hear that it, um, it basically it's less upkeep. You don't have to worry about um, the things that go wrong with lumber over years. Well, normally when you build a a metal building and you turn it into either a home or an office, what you end up with is you've got your metal building on the outside, and then inside you end up still putting stud walls, hanging sheetrock or or whatever you're going to put on it and everything. But the advantages are, one, you got thicker walls for, for insulation. 
So they're a lot of times more energy efficient than a, a right. standard constructed home. We were thinking of doing the spray foam on the inside to help with efficiency as well. Uh, you know, I, I would actually, if you told me you were going to do the spray foam for sound, I would say you absolutely, 100%. But because of the space that you have in those walls, uh, mm -hmm. it, using spray foam as far as insulating on a metal building is actually not needed. You've got the space to put as much fiberglass as you want to get the R values really at their maximum for much less money. Okay. Good to know. I'll add that to our notes. <laughs> yeah. Now, one downside on metal buildings, and for some it's a downside, for some it's not, um, you will hear the rain and stuff much louder than a traditional constructed home. Now, for some people, oh, I love the sound of rain on a metal roof. Other people, mm -hmm. they can't stand it. Right. Yeah, I think um, every once in a while it sounds nice, but <laughs> <laughs> I could see that getting old, too. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the nice things are, you know, if you want really large open spans, the metal building construction gives you the ability to do that. And then the other thing is, and this may be more on the husband's side, but... If he wants a really large garage, the metal mm -hmm. buildings are really good where you can build a good-sized metal building, have part of it for living, part of it as his garage shop area. Right. And, yeah, I've and, seen a lot of those, too. Yeah, and getting into doing it that way, that actually does start saving you money on, on your construction. Okay. Well, it's good to hear that from a professional. So. <laughs> Thank you. And, and Alicia, just FYI. My office that I built in uh, Dallas, I built it in 06, I believe, 08, somewhere in that range. Um, mm -hmm. I built a metal building and built it out inside for the office. Works out great. Perfect. Good. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, you very much. Take care. Thanks for taking the call. You too. Bye. J.D., how can I help you today? Yes, sir. Uh, I wanted to call you and talk to you about replacement windows. Okay. Um. I live in a neighborhood where there's uh, basically they're all custom homes. I'm at the low end, probably a home value of maybe two, two hundred, two twenty. I've got about seventeen windows. I've got a brick exterior and I've got sheetrock returns on the inside. What am I looking at ballpark wise for window replacement? I see them all over the board, from thirty nine ninety five for ten of them to. 70000 which one of the larger, well-known companies. I just don't know what's reasonable. Well, first I will tell you, whether you go with the thirty-nine ninety-five for 10 of them or the $80,000 window, the, in your, the efficiency of those windows are going to all be almost the same. Because a few years ago, the government stepped in and said, here's the efficiency level, everybody... Get your butts up to this. And so everybody had to increase their their efficiency of their windows. Basically, it was just adjusting the glass some. But that's so that part of it you can take out of the equation. Who's going to be more efficient than the others? Really what it comes down to is aesthetics. And are they all comparing apples to apples? Now, I can tell you probably the company you were talking about with the uh, High-priced windows, Renewal by Anderson. They make a gorgeous window, but it's just unbelievably expensive. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and and there's no two ways about it. It is a it, it is a nice window. It has a very specific look to it and and you know style. So if that's the look you're going for, that would be the window you'd have to go after. Well, I personally I went yeah, I personally went with America's Choice windows. Um, I went with just standard virgin vinyl windows. Now, I went with the tan color versus going with just a plain white window. But uh, when you hear a lot of these companies offering, you know, $39.95 and uh, $4,000, $5,000, $6,000 for 10 windows, there's only a few manufacturers, actually, who make the windows. So all of them are selling basically the same window. Some of them will have little things done to it so that they can say it's their custom window. Right. But they're all made by the same manufacturers. A lot of people don't realize that. Let me ask you this. I'll see the pictures of the windows in the newspaper, magazines, or whatever. Yeah. And undoubtedly, in every case, it's always a wood or a siding exterior, or it shows the inside with wood trim around them all over the place. Yeah. Mine aren't that way. Neither are mine. And I'm okay. So if <laughs> I have a brick exterior and I have sheetrock returns on the inside, I could pretty well stay with that for my replacement window. Absolutely. What they end up doing when they do a replacement window is they'll come in and collapse that old aluminum window, take it out, and they've already come in and measured and had the windows custom made. Then on the inside, they come in and they have to actually cut the sheetrock return to fit the new window. And okay, they, so they do. I do need to replace that sheetrock. Nope. All they do, they they actually cut it with a straight line and just slide the new window in up against that sheetrock. They slide it in from the outside, okay. and so it pushes all the way up to the sheetrock. So when they're done, they just have to caulk around the window on the okay. inside. What usually would be a turnaround on, let's say, a, an order and installment? Most companies will tell you four to six weeks, but normally it's going to be five to seven. Okay. Because, like I said, all the windows are custom made because they got to measure based on when the brick was installed, so that it slides in without having to remove brick. Okay. Did um, Did you go with double pane or triple pane? Double. Triple pane. You know. A lot of companies are trying to sell triple pane as, as, as so much more energy efficient. Right. You will never save enough money to offset that initial cost of the window. Okay. If you were up in, in Minnesota where it's, you know, ice cold, perfect window. Go with the triple pane. Down here, we're, we're, we're putting our windows in for heat, not for the cold. Okay. Did you tint yours? No. How come you didn't tint them? Because I like being able to look outside and not have a uh, different hue of what I'm looking at. Okay. And honestly, the straight glass actually has a little bit of, of color hue to it already. Okay. Because the way they make the windows uh, so energy efficient nowadays, when the glass is being manufactured, there's actually a silver, like a silver oxide that gets impregnated into the glass. And that does give it a little bit of a tint. Well, I've got to tell you, thank you for letting me think at you personally on what your choice was, and I really appreciate the information. <laughs> Jim, thank you. You bet. Good. Take care, J.D. Hello, Crystal. How are you today? Thank 
thank you so much for taking my call. I am calling uh, because I'm doing some reconstruction work in my backyard, including redoing my pool, Uh uh, my patio. But one thing that I'm thinking about uh, is a sunroom. Okay. Uh, And so I just want your thoughts about the upsides or the downsides of, of adding a little sunroom to my patio or turning my patio. Are you looking at having one of those patio rooms installed, or are you looking at just going with traditional type const- wood, wood well, stick construction? Here's the deal: I don't know about them one way or the other. You know, okay. I just had this thought that I wanted a, something kind of neat to put out back so I could sip my tea and watch the puppy play. <laughs> there you go. All right. Here's the ups and downsides of the little patio rooms. Okay. The if you go with the patio rooms you know where they come out as a kit and and they got the windows and the the little roofs and all that stuff Uh it looks like those are going to be quick easy and inexpensive Uh typically you're going to find that to be every bit as expensive as having a contractor come in and build a room addition onto the house Uh the bigger problem is down the road if it has leaks Uh needs door adjustments any of those kind of things Uh nobody's willing to work on them Go with traditional stick and construction, you know, with two-by-fours and build a regular roof that matches into the house Uh and make it a nice addition on the house, something that will actually add to the value of the house. Because the little glass rooms, although they'll add a little bit of value to the home, Uh if you go with regular two-by-four type construction, Uh you can add much more value. And again, you're typically not going to pay really any more than you would to have those little sunrooms put on. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's something that can be worked on. Wow. Now, okay, another, so contractor-wise, I'm, I'm trying to find someone who can do the traditional kind of add-on. Okay. Is that, no, that's a question. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, call Elite Outdoor Living. E-L-I-T-E? Yes, ma'am. Outstanding. Thank one you so o- much. One other side note, oh. though. Don't build it on just a patio. Uh-huh. Take the patio out, put in a regular house-type foundation oh, with, okay. the, with the beams and everything. Uh-huh. Because if it ever moves or the house moves and all that stuff, you need to be able to work on it instead of having to tear it down. Okay, okay. All okay. right. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Crystal, you have a great afternoon. <laughs> you do, too. Bye-bye. 214-787-1080. That's 214-787-1080. And, you know, that little tidbit on the end there, as far as putting in that regular foundation, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm in the foundation business. You know, I get out to a lot of houses. You build it on a patio, it is not repairable. It doesn't ha- It's not rigid enough to ever pick it up and fix the thing. And so when it starts moving, you end up tearing it down. And in the same thing, if the house moves and you got to level the house and that patio room doesn't have a foundation under it that can be lifted with the house, you end up tearing that room up as well. So if you're going to put a patio room, build it like a regular addition. Take out the, the existing patio Put in a regular foundation with beams and and everything so it's nice and rigid. Tie it into the home so that it can all move as a unit. And when you tie it in, 
crisscross the tie-ins. In other words, drill at an angle from the top, angling down, move over 16 inches, drill from, from the bottom, angled up, and do that back and forth all the way across the addition. Then put a beam along the addition and all the way around the addition in order to give it some rigidity and tie everything together. And I'm telling you, if you do an addition on your home that way, and I don't care if it's a patio room or a regular remodeling on a home, you can tie that in so tight that you can tile across those joints. And I know because I did it on my house. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.